Welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast that once asked the question, is Percy Beth the greatest love story ever told, decided, you betcha, daddy and is now back to kill time before the TV show comes out by discussing Magnus Chase. We are on the third and final book today, The Ship of the Dead. We have some returning guests, fellow podcasters here to join us. So let's go see about the end of the world. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, <laughs> listeners. Hi, Carter. Hi. Hi to our three <laughs> special guests today forming our pentagonal conversation. It's Robert from the Damn Meme Page. I make the damn memes. And we have Megan here from Monstrous Woman. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be back for Rick's, in my opinion, best work. Wow. Challenging the House of Hades, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Head tilt, chin tuck, aggressive blinking. I know this isn't the podcast to say that on, but... No, we welcome variety of opinions where variety means like within like two degrees of our opinions. But you know, there's like, there's room. And we also have Darian from the Muses of Mythology, the podcast formerly known as the Podcast of Poseidon. Thank you so much for saying the formerly thing for me so I didn't have to. The artist formerly known as Mm -hmm. the Podcast of Poseidon. I'm going to miss it. Well, thank you. You have to go through a rebrand as an artist. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, yep. it's important. We've changed our logo art a few times. Original listeners will remember the stock image of the bubble that I downloaded oh. without paying for it. And then I knew I would have to change it one day because I was worried that if this <laughs> podcast ever got popular, somebody from like stock image lawyers would come find and you. murder us. Yes. I think I screenshotted it, which is like a bad practice. Don't do that. Um, Don't do that. (laughs) I did use your current art when I was sending samples to our graphic designer with being like, we like these vibes. This is what we're going for. Yours was one of the ones I was like, yeah, we really like this type of thing. Like, so yeah. Shout Shout out out to to our our friend, friend, Sammy. Sammy. (laughs) Who did that for us? I was just with her like an hour ago. We love her. Still cool. She's not going to listen to this. Almost (laughs) a registered nurse. Very busy woman. She's graduating from nursing school tomorrow. Yay! We know so many essential (laughs) workers. I was also just having dinner with Ola the other night, which our listeners should enjoy knowing, and Ola's girlfriend, who is also in the same kind of like 15-month accelerated nursing program. We know so many. I didn't know that. Essential workers. Shout out to nurses. You're better than doctors. (laughs) That's true. Period. All right. I don't have any fun questions to ask anyone today. I didn't think of anything. We're, we're old schoolers at this point. You can't ask us, oh, what? how do you pronounce Chiron? Do you think Persibus the greatest love story? But you can't ask us that anymore. We've been here before. That's true. We'll get to everyone's opinions about, what about everything that's... He- go, go, ask it, ask it. <laughs> no, this is a bit graphic, but if you had to sail into Ragnarok on a ship of the dead made out of a underrated, um, under-discussed body part, please oh my god what would you choose <laughs> if your ship was not the ship of toenails yeah nerves like nerves the, nerves. Oh. the ship of nerves yeah that would be so and it would be like lighting up with like yeah, electricity yeah. <gasps> that is very cool you would kill like so many marine animals it's the end of the world who fucking cares <laughs> can i do bones 
there the we ship go. of bones is great the ship of bones is an e- also an excellent answer it seems sturdy uh, uh you know that thing that people in the prices right do where they're like 450 and then the next one's like 451 i'm gonna do that with megan's answer where i'm gonna say uh the humorous bone <laughs> okay from the damn meme page <laughs> keeping it on brand do you have an idea carter i don't know if i do i feel like hair is a fun answer wouldn't you think I guess it's magic, so that's not a concern. But it's I just magic. <laughs> we'll yeah. figure it out. You're like, it's it seems really gross. <laughs> I think shout out to Spanish Jackie from Our Flag Means Death. I'm gonna go with noses from the nose jar. <laughs> the nose jar specific juice from Spanish the nose jar. Jackie played famously by Leslie Jones, right? That's the right character. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's begin. So I think we've given this same disclaimer before, basically all the other episodes we've done in the series, but we're going to summarize the whole book now. The idea being that if you haven't read the book and you want to just listen to this podcast and don't care whether or not you have everything spoiled for you, this will make it a good and accessible discussion for you. If you want to go in without spoilers, you should stop listening right now. If you've already read the book, I don't know, I guess you could skip this part, but also it might be useful because a lot of stuff happens. We're going to launch into it now. We open in Charleston the harbor in the northeastern edge of like the Boston Cambridge area um, on Magnus, Alex, as well as Percy and Annabeth uh, doing a training session, double date, specifically preparing for a long ocean boat voyage. Percy's giving Magnus some tips. Uh, Magnus and Alex, after this training session, then go off together to Randolph's mansion, which was left to Magnus, where they find a murderous wolf that is trying to steal something from the mansion. Specifically, Randolph's cryptic notes that may or may not, it's very ambiguous at this point, but we're pretty sure, contain a plan to stop Loki. With these notes, they head back to Valhalla to pick up the Floor 19 gang and begin their voyage through the ocean to the border between, I think it's Jotunheim and Niflheim, right? Jotunheim, oh, sorry, pronunciation, hello. Jotunheim and Niflheim, the frozen hell and the giant area of the underworld. We're going off on an ocean voyage to find the Ship of the Dead, which Loki is on He is gathering the forces of the undead to go off to start Ragnarok. We're going to stop him. So we're on an ocean voyage. Very quickly, we get pulled out of the ocean and trapped by um, the giant sea god, um, fuck, Ager, I'm assuming. I'm going to grab my book. I'm (laughs) going to grab my book so that I have all the pronunciations. (laughs) Keep going. So we're quickly trapped by Ager, uh, an old sea god. Although they are trapped, they quickly invoke guest rites. So that um, instead of being uh, eaten or killed, we have a very tense dinner uh, during which they are trying to negotiate a longer term peace and safe travel through the oceans. During this dinner, Magnus puts together some clues and figures out that he needs to challenge Loki to a flighting, which is a stylized insult battle. It seems like the details are a little ambiguous at this point. They subsequently escape this area with help from Njord, who is the, like, godly grandfather of Magnus, who clarifies the plan for them. He lets us know that half of the team is going to have to go to get this whetstone, and the other half of the team is going to have to go defeat a giant, so that they can get the location and the tools to find this mead, the mead of Kvasir, which is a liquid that, when consumed, is going to give Magnus the power he needs to do well in the flighting. It's supposed to make him very lyrical and verbose and well-spoken. I feel like the details are a little ambiguous, but that's the vibe we get. That this is going to give him a power-up that he needs to do well in the flighting. The details are also ambiguous to Magnus. He is unsure as to how this he is going to help yeah, him. Yeah, totally no. but this is one of those things that was in Randolph's notes. So 
the pieces are coming together. He saw it in the notes. He heard some follow-up information about this at the dinner with Aegir. 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 So the main team goes off to fight the giant in York. Specifically, TJ is leading that fight, and Alex makes a gigantic ceramic warrior to fight the giant ceramic warrior, which we are told is a common mode of Norse two-person dueling. Magnus then joins Blitzen and Hearth to go retrieve this whetstone that they need. That's the other tool. Specifically, they do this by slaying Hearth's dad, who, you'll remember from the last book, got this magic ring that makes you extra greedy, and as a result of that greed, has turned into an actual dragon guarding a horde of treasure that includes the whetstone. So Hearth lures his father out by conjuring his dead brother with magic. Blitz jumps out to help and yell at the father when things go awry, and then Magnus stabs the dragon, killing him. Magnus, after this, um, accidentally performs the funeral rites by knocking Hearth's dad's heart into a fire by accident and also consuming some of his blood, which gives him the ability to talk to birds. This comes up exactly once later in the story, if I'm not mistaken, but why the fuck not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Norse mythology, baby. We have the whetstone. So the team reassembles to go to Norway to actually retrieve the mead. They specifically dock in this town in Norway and take a train with Mallory, Sam, and Magnus. On the train, they meet Frigg, who is the queen of Asgard. And we find out in this meeting is also Mallory's mother. Bum, bum. Who gives them some advice about how exactly they're going to retrieve the mead. And also has a very tense conversation with Mallory about her death and her parentage and all of these other things. The IRA. Yes, and also um, the IRA and the Troubles. So once we get there, Mallory takes charge. She uses the whetstone to sharpen the enslaved guards' sights and then tricks them into using those sights to kill each other. They then go in, get the mead, and fight off the giants who own it with help of birds that talk to Magnus. Yep, there we That's go. Our one That's time. why That's we needed that. <laughs> With the meat in hand, we sail off through the icy hell and almost freeze to death before we take refuge at the uh, home of Scotty, who is this giant deity. Also, along the way, Alex kisses Magnus. <laughs> After a night of refuge, we sail off finally. We get on Loki's ship. Magnus challenges him to the flighting. Loki appears to be doing better. He is more clever. He's meaner. But then Magnus decides that he is actually going to take a different path subvert the narrative and talk about how great his friends are before um, emphasizing that Loki has no one in his life. And this turns out to be successful. He wins. Loki turns into a tiny person that gets trapped in a magic walnut from Frigg. Why the fuck not? Am Why I right? the fuck not? That detail actually feels very <laughs> classic North mythology. Like, yes, trap his tiny ass in a walnut. Um, and with Loki in the walnut, we have a little battle, sneak off the ship, escape into the ocean. We go off to meet the gods at the battlefield where Ragnarok is to take place. The gods were basically there waiting in case the shit went down and they failed. But instead, we're just having a party. We go back to Valhalla. Alex kisses Magnus again. Um, and uh. with Odin's um, legal help, this is Magnus's final request slash reward for preventing Ragnarok. Uh, Alex and Magnus uh, open a shelter together at uh, Randolph's old mansion, the Chase Place to be um, staffed primarily by Hearth and Blitza. The Chase Space, which sounds like a clothing store for children. Yeah, that's going to be confusing. On Newbury Street, too. <laughs> that's the book. That's the series. That's literally the series. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Carter. Shall we get some initial thoughts before we dive into some detailed bullet points? It's great. I love it. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's great and love it. This is... I think my favorite, it 
I wouldn't say that this book specifically is my favorite of the Magnus Chase series, but I think it wraps up my favorite trilogy really well. Mm. I also like that Magnus does follow through on the promise he makes from his wish from the gods. He opens a 501c3 nonprofit, and he did what (laughs) Percy couldn't. So I just feel that that's a win for him. I still love Percy, but... Accountability. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this book. I mean, it has the one what the fuck, Rick, how could you write this moment that I have for all of his books, but we'll get there when we get there. Oh, okay. okay. something. Little... Foreshadowing. Something enticing. I was going to say foreshadowing. Okay. <laughs> you got to draw the listeners in. You, you got to make sure they listen th- to through the end. To the next two hours, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think this book will always hold a special place in my heart because I finished it on 4th of July, which is exactly when the book finishes. It closes on Alex and Magnus, like on the rooftop, fireworks. 4th of July, that's a big deal in Boston. I don't know. Like, I'm sure it's a big deal in most cities, but like Boston, literally everyone descends to the river. All like five people in Boston in the summer go to the river (laughs) and uh, watch the fireworks together. Yeah. So, I mean, 4th of July, whatever. Not particularly passionate about that as a holiday. But I was, like, finishing it on the subway back from the beach before me and all my besties went up to the roof to watch the fireworks on the East River. So I was just like, ah, you guys, like, having a conniption on the subway, being like, it's 4th of July in the book. It's 4th of July right now. Like, they're kissing. Like, help. (laughs) So that's always going to be a very special experience that I will hold near and dear to my heart. And I love this book. I really enjoyed it. When we first had the establishing plot thing like the conversation with Njord I was like this is this is very confusing this feels like too many things is this gonna work out am I in for a good time and then I was you know I feel like I I I I really enjoyed those aspects and also it does I think give a good rap for almost all of the characters that we've gotten to know Absolutely. All right. So that being said, I think we do want to run down a few assorted tidbits before we dive into first Persebeth and second Fiero Chase in this book. <laughs> what is this first one? Oh, yeah. I was going to just mention that at the time we were recording this, Carter and I were hanging out in Boston last week. I made a little video of all of the places that we could like easily get to that we went to <laughs> that are involved in these books. Um, if you want to watch it, it's on our social media. We decided which random mansion in the back bay was in fact the chase space <laughs> based on its proximity to the Leif Erikson statue, which I also wanted to mention because it's like a historical point that we completely glossed over in the first book. And then Carter and I were like trying to figure out who this person was that your professor, right, Carter, was like, oh, there's a real life person. My boss brought this up before I read the Magnus Chase books. Like early in our interactions together, my boss has three kids who range, I think, from middle school to like about to start college literally next week. And they like read the Magnus Chase books because they're like from Boston and they found that part of it exciting. And so he mentioned this to me like early in our conversations when he was asking like, what do you do when you're not working? I mentioned the podcast and his response was like, oh yeah, they mentioned that a lot of that takes place in Boston and that there's some long discussion of this weird Harvard professor who had these unsubstantiated ideas about Boston's connection to Norse mythology. And that like kind of did not really register with me that strongly at the time. But then we saw the Leif Erikson statue and we're like, hmm, hmm, and then did a lot of follow-up research. By we, I mostly mean yeah, Erica did then, a lot of follow-up research. <laughs> well, I was really curious. I was like, who is the real-life professor who Randolph was based on? And then I found out that he is actually name-dropped one singular time in The Sword of Summer. And his name was, let me see if I can pronounce it right, 
Eben Norton Horsford, and he's mentioned in reference to Randolph, and this guy was like real life inspiration for Randolph and his quest for Norse evidence within Boston. He's an interesting historical figure. He was a Harvard professor, but unlike Randolph, he wasn't fired. He just happened to be very eccentric. Um, and he believed that the city of Norumbega, which was believed to be in Vinland, which is now most people think if Vinland existed, it was Newfoundland. But this guy, this professor, thought that it was in Cambridge, like at Harvard. Um, <laughs> And to be clear, of course, important context right, right, is that right. this professor was not like a history professor. You know, like this is just this was just he his was a scientist. Hobby. I think he was a chemist um, yeah. who just like was chemist. Norse and was like, let me let me tell you some things about my heritage and why I have a historical connection to this land. I guess. Yeah, um, he believed he found these like remains of these Viking buildings. Anyway, it's very interesting. He wrote a book called The Defenses of Norumbega, and you can download a free PDF of it. I will link it in our show notes if you are like a history nerd. I'm sure Rick did a lot of research because he's a research king, um, and he probably read this book, but um, I'm going <laughs> to read a quick couple sentences because it's very interesting. The physical remains of ancient structures deemed essential to the proof that Northmen once dwelt in the Valley of the Charles have been found. They can be seen and examined by anyone. Their place is settled. They are not inconsiderable in extent. The very citadel that is to be held or abandoned is pointed out. It is at Watertown, which I hold to be the site of the ancient city of Norumbega. This is denied in terms that cover all evidences, whatever, not only of the presence of Northmen in the Valley of the Charles, but on the American continent south of Davis Strait. The terms of this denial are not wanting either in precision or the air of conviction. So that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Like a History Channel documentary, probably. <laughs> yes, exactly that. <laughs> In case we weren't clear about this, we're pretty sure that he was uh, wrong. Yeah, most people think <laughs> that if the Vikings landed in North America, it was in what is now Newfoundland. But it is probably because of him that there's a Leif Erikson statue. Like, there's another name on the statue that is a listed benefactor who there isn't a ton of information about. But supposedly he was the one who pushed for the statue to be there. That was the most history we've ever done on Seaweed Brain. I <laughs> <laughs> really like Rick being an educator really shines through in moments like this because he would, in his personal life, love that fun fact and like do a deep dive on it. And be like, mm -hmm. yeah, this is so interesting that Boston could have been. Because I already want New York to be where ancient Greece happened. So Yeah, right up his alley. We should mention specifically that there's like a long ass passage discussing all of this in sort of the summer that we did not cover at the time <laughs> for any number of reasons. Non-essential. It like describes the statue of Leif Erikson. It mentions Norumbega and Eben Horsford by name. You could check it out. Also, it's a cool statue. We spent a good several minutes admiring it's this statue. It's very detailed. There are these, like, reliefs in the side. One of them is, like, a depiction of a ship. It's, like, very detailed. It's a cool statue. The whole statue sits on top of a, like, Viking ship. Or, like, a pedestal, which is, like, detailed. Yeah. Yeah, a pedestal with a ship. It's very cool. There's runes on it? There are literally <laughs> runes on it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a one-off joke um, that I just wanted to shout out. Magna says, quote, confession i had trouble telling my grandfather and grandmother apart they had the same white helmet hair same glasses same wispy mustaches period more about that that did make me laugh <laughs> no very good i know those people <laughs> magnus is blonde but he also can't tell blonde people apart <laughs> period <laughs>
there's one last quote we're going to read, which I did mention to Erica in real life as I read it. And I was like, what is going on here? And I don't think we came to a I consensus. Have no answers. Quote, if there had been any justice in the world, the Thunder God Thor would have looked like this. This referring to Frey. Blonde and handsome and regal. Not like a muscle-bound, red-headed fart machine. What does, <laughs> if there were any justice in the world, like, I, I don't. What do you think he's referring to? Like, do you think he's saying like Thor should be hot? Like, he's referring to Chris Hemsworth. Like that. That's literally. Yeah. He's, he's referring to the MCU Thor. But it's like also like a weird way to riff on the MCU, where he's not saying like the MCU is wrong, ha ha ha, or like most people think Thor looks like this. He Which actually he does doesn't. earlier. He do, he makes that version. Of yeah, the he does say it earlier. earlier. Yeah, because his uncle hates the MCU. But then this iteration, he's like making a claim about like ethics. Or like, you know, like what the good world is here. No, I don't think it's that deep. I think he just wishes that Thor Thor was hot. hot, Like Chris Hemsworth. Because how much more fun would his life as an undead warrior be if he was actually doing all these errands for hot Thor? And he didn't know how to articulate that. That's true. He's early in his journey at this point. We all said wild things before we knew we were gay. (laughs) We also need to unpack mm-hmm. the second part of this, which is that the reference for super hot here is his dad. Um, yeah. I don't think what? we need to unpack that. We already talked we about how no, Alex is his mom. We know what Turn period, around. we like know everything that we need to know about that. I Carter. just, we need to verbalize it. Drop it. So we're all Put on the same page down. here and move right along. Um, it did need to be acknowledged. Why can't Thor be hot like my dad is basically what he just said. So we're clear. <laughs> And yeah. move along. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Shout out to the last book where he's like, why does Alex remind me of my mom? Literally. Literally. You can't. No, we can't relitigate that. I'm invoking guest rights and we're not talking about that because it's impolite to me. The host. Um, all right. We got all that out of the way so that now we can talk about Percybeth. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> because Percy and Annabeth are in the first two chapters of this book. It's really just for a moment, but there are so many... So many good bits. We're going to read a bunch of quotes. Who wants to be Percy? Who wants to be Annabeth? Percy. Okay, Robert's going to be Percy. Carter, would you like to assume your regular role as Annabeth? Or do you want to play somebody else? No, regular role. Obviously. (laughs) Who would like to be Alex Fierro? I feel like it has to be Meg. I don't know why. All right, Meg. (laughs) Okay, I'll do my best. Feels like a big ask, but... The listeners will not know this. Meg is currently wearing a diamond sweater vest, which I believe Alex's reference is wearing (gasps) many times in the book. I didn't think about that! (laughs) That is the baseline yeah. for any Alex fan art is the diamond sweater vest. Whoa. This one isn't neon, but it is the same energy. Yeah, it's no. like reasonable colors. <laughs> I came in costume. All you need to play Alex is the sweater vest, green hair, and pronouns. Like, that's all you need. <laughs> that's like my favorite anti-joke. Ugh, everyone has pronouns these days. Blue hair and pronouns. <laughs> yeah, blue hair and pronouns. That's just like my favorite joke. I don't know why. Rick Riordan invented blue hair and pronouns, actually. <laughs> no one had pronouns until the Chrissy Jackson books came out. <laughs> It was a wild, confusing time, gang. Oh my god. Okay, great. Darian, do you want to breed Magnus Chase lines? Sure, yeah, okay. Cool. So starting with a quote on page 12, this is Annabeth. Heroes never get to be ready, do we? We just do the best we can. And that's it. Elegant. I found that to be really special. Okay, um, <laughs> this is page 16. Um, this is the Percy Jackson hyping up Annabeth Chase quote. So let's go for it. Anyway, maybe we've been looking at this all wrong. I've been trying to teach you C-skills, but the most important thing is to use whatever you've got on your hand. Your team, your wits, the enemy's own magical stuff. 
And there's no way to plan for that. Exactly. My work here is done. Percy, you're saying the best plan is no plan. As a child of Athena, I can't really endorse that. All I'm saying is that the most powerful demigod of our generation is sitting here, and it isn't me. Wise girl can't shapeshift or breathe underwater or talk to Pegasi. She can't fly and she isn't super strong, but she's crazy smart and good at improvising. That's what makes her deadly. Doesn't matter whether she's on land, in the water, in the air, or in Tartarus. Magnus, you were training with me all weekend. I think you should have been training with Annabeth instead. Annabeth's stormy gray eyes were hard to read. At last, she said, Okay, that was sweet. Not bad, seaweed brain. Don't you start with that nickname, too. <laughs> yeah listen i know walker's percy but can, can can i put in my hat to play a percy jackson please and thank you when we get to the percy jackson multiverse hey <laughs> there it is all i'm saying is that the most powerful demigod of our generation is sitting here and it isn't me is one of the best lines that rick has ever come up with elegant look at that mm -hmm. there's something sweet about annabeth having to pause for a moment and like give percy a look before she's like actually no i have to give you credit that was really sweet exactly mm -hmm. and also alex obviously is the annabeth of this relationship right so like <laughs> yeah. picking up by also being like okay seaweed brain and percy being like nope not two of you not there can't be two of you right nope. now um not both of you picking on me <laughs> it also just makes me think about like what you know, Percy knew that in his heart all, all along that, you know, he's always thought this highly of Annabeth. But at mm -hmm. what point did he get sick of other people calling him the most powerful demigod and start saying this, you know? Because I bet this isn't the first time he said this to someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it's the first time he said it in front of Annabeth. Yes. But only because she happens to be there and he would have said it anyway. It just has come up. Yeah. Like anytime people start praising him and being like, Percy, you're so strong or like blah, blah, blah. He's like, nope, Annabeth is. Annabeth yep. is smarter than me, and I would have died if it wasn't for her. If you think I'm cool, wait till you meet my girlfriend. <laughs> oh my god. Um, this is another quote on page 18. What was that back there? The shape-shifting? The singing sword? Were you trying to get caught? Nah, if you flaunt the weird magical stuff, it confuses mortals even more. It kind of short-circuits mortal brains. Makes them avoid you. Huh. All these years sneaking around, and we could have just been ourselves? You should always do that. And you have to flaunt the weird, my friends. I'm gonna quote you on that. You'd better. Oh. <laughs> this is just this is just Rick being like, it's okay to let your freak flag fly. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely like freak it flag very fly. Hashtag on the flaunt nose. the weird. Something something Lady Gaga. <laughs> Remember 2014 and we all had like a t-shirt that said stay weird and it was upside down. Mm -hmm. But also just the difference between the Norse demigods and the Greek ones. Yeah. Like they are so like they're dead already. They don't <laughs> care about anything. Reminds me when uh Rachel Elizabeth Dare, in my head, she jumped up on the table in the cafe and yelled to everyone, Hey, these two are demigods, they're children of great gods, everyone look at them and <laughs> Annabeth gets really upset, but like no, no one, one cares. This. <laughs> Delightful. The Greeks and the Romans, they definitely have a little bit of a inflated self-importance um, mm. about being demigods versus the Valhalla warriors are like, yep, we're dead and immortal because of it. <laughs> uh, vibes. <laughs> just vibes all around. Big vibes. There's also just so many of them compared to what, like specifically Annabeth and Percy have been exposed to in Camp Half-Blood. Yes. Okay, one more cute quote from this scene. This is on page 19. It's just an Alex Fierro line. If those two were any cuter, they'd cause a nuclear explosion of cuteness and destroy the eastern seaboard. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is like perfectly violent for Alex to say as a compliment. And I enjoyed the consistency. Because <laughs> when I was reading the first book, I was like, oh, wow, Magnus has like a lot of Percy energy. That's fun. And then Alex came in. And I was like, no, he doesn't. Alex does. All the sounds <laughs> and everything was straight to Alex. As it should be. I really like that it's apparent that Alex likes Percy and Annabeth as their couple dynamic. Yeah. I think that yes. adds a layer of, of yes. sweetness that would otherwise not be existent in, in the biting and the sarcasm and the, the walls that Alex justifiably has. But getting to peek at, they admire the cuteness of, they're not like, ugh, so gross. But she's literally like, or he's literally like, oh, actually, that's really cute. Kind of. Maybe I want a piece of that. I don't know. <laughs> don't, at, don't look at me, Chase. Yeah, because yeah, it's the same dynamic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Based on this conversation, we get this running internal monologue thing that comes up a lot where um, Magnus is constantly, when he's thinking about stakes, mentioning Sally's coming baby as like a reason why yes. he needs to prevent Ragnarok from coming. Because he's like, there's this child mm-hmm. on the way. Mm-hmm. And so therefore the world needs to not end. Estelle is born already. She's here. Oh, she's here. My bad. Yeah, she's already born because Percy talks about how he's going to go babysit. Babysit. Right, that's And her name going. is Estelle yeah. after his grandmother on the mortal side, not the Poseidon side. <laughs> I don't know. I found those lines very, like, a little bit absurd because obviously many people would die. But um, also, like, very sweet. And, like, the implication of everything that he's saying is basically that, like, Percy, he is someone he considers as much family as Annabeth, I feel like, is a subtext, right? Yeah. They have a good relationship. And I think it was important for Rick to put them side by side, even though there was a way that this could have gone that would have been really lazy. But this really is, I think, a useful exercise for Rick in highlighting that they're not the same character and Mm -hmm. that um, there are meaningful differences and that they have a dynamic between them that is like identifiable and textured and interesting that I think gives a lot of life and um, freshness to the characterizations of Magnus. Yeah, I think very specifically, it juxtaposes the whole Percy's fatal flaw being protecting the ones he loves and Magnus having no family, really. And yeah, he has people he loves and he has friends, but really he's the opposite. Like Percy would sacrifice the Mm -hmm. world in order to save one person who's close to him. And Magnus is constantly thinking about like the fate of the entire world and how that's who he has to save. Yeah, that's a really good point. Can I criticize Percy for a second? Mm -hmm. Always. Floor is yours. No, it's really just like, I don't think Percy, son of the sea god Jackson, who water heals and cannot hurt, should be teaching someone how to fall off a boat. (laughs) I don't think Percy actually knows how to do this because water just like cradles him in its little water Moana arms and is like, hello, child, I love you so dearly. Like water doesn't hurt him. You can fall off the Empire State Building and land in a kiddie pool and be fine. Yeah, it should have been Annabeth teaching him. She I actually has to be talented because she doesn't just have these powers protecting her. Percy's mm. just skating. Percy says. Yeah, he makes the point, but... Percy and Annabeth have the energy that, like, Annabeth eats lots of salads and, like, goes to the gym and, like, works out and, like, trains. And Percy <laughs> doesn't take care of his body and he doesn't actually practice. He yeah. doesn't stretch. Never stretches. <laughs> never never. Stretches. You've never seen it. Doesn't do a warm-up jog. No. Annabeth has a full split. And Percy can't not touch his toes. That's so true. That's canon. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all we had to cover on the Percy Beth cameo. Anyone, any further thoughts? Can we have one last thing to cover? Like the ending? Oh, did you want to talk about yeah. that? Yeah. want to talk about that real quick? 
Well, I just had a question because when Annabeth shows back up at the end of the book, they're chit-chatting on the phone. Magnus makes a note that it sounds like Annabeth is in tears, like Mm -hmm. she's been crying. And he asks her if everything is okay. And she said when they got back to camp, they got some difficult news, but she's going to be okay. And at first I was like, isn't that, is that just, you know, that things are going poorly, that there's no prophecy, that, you know, something going on with Apollo, but Spoiler. then I realized that mm. we are, there's no, we're not spoiling it. We're not going to mm-hmm. say it, but I, because we it see hasn't the happened notes. yet. Like, we see the note. We, we know yes, what's happening. Yeah. We, we know. They're also not at camp. They're in California. They're in ca- Yeah. Cali- that's the other key oh. detail. He, yeah. Here's, yeah. here's the thing that doesn't make sense about this is that this should take place at the end of the fifth book in Trials of Apollo because it's been mentioned that there's an issue with communication, communicating mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. demigods. Yeah. That issue isn't dealt with until later in the series. So yeah. they can't get yeah, the news point. until after that conflict is resolved. Yeah. I think we're doing this out of canon order, technically. I mean, like, we're doing it in release order. But, like, yeah. the Twiles books take, like, each one of those is, like, three days, right? So this takes place after all of them, probably, right? It does. Yeah, yeah. It after takes all of that, the end, presumably before, before the third one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird, but whatever. I mean, the King Chronicles books takes place all within like the year of Heroes of Olympus too. So it's a weird timeline. <laughs> yeah. We all know they don't exist in time, but they actually exist right now all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to that article where Rick is like, nah, Percy's not 30. He's just always perpetually 17. Until I say so. Rick is so funny because he also like, in some moments he's like a good and responsible person who goes on Twitter and says things like, I create canons and that is just the text and you read the text and we all discuss the text and the text is for the fans. And once it is published, we are all just people reading this thing and having opinions about it. And then he will also say things like, actually, Percy is currently 17 years old. (laughs) Which doesn't even make sense, having read Trials of Apollo. (laughs) Just in case anyone is really confused, this is in reference to Rick's blog post for Percy's birthday, which was on um, August 18th, exactly a week ago from when we were recording this. Mm -hmm. And he listed out everything that Percy's friends and family got him for his birthday and also said that Percy is perennially 17 until he decides otherwise, which confused the fandom and there was lots of discourse about it. However, I think it's very clear. Personally, I thought it was very clear that Rick was making a specific point about saying that Mm -hmm. because Percy's going to turn 18 in the Will and Nico book and something is going to go down. Oh, no. This is a good moment to take a break, maybe. And then when we come back, (laughs) we're going to talk about everybody else who's not percy and annabeth <laughs> this is really awkward and comfortable because percy and annabeth were in two chapters 30 minutes talking about just them okay we are back um embarrassing for us because percy beth was only in two chapters and that was all we talked about before the break we have a brand it's okay <laughs> it's almost like you're the podcast that asks the question is percy beth the greatest love story ever told and you're out of percy beth we're not though because we need to move on to their children <laughs> And their children are Fierro Chase. So ah, nice. Like exactly. Carter mentioned in the summary, Rick does not beat around the bush. He opens up on this Persebeth and Fierro Chase scene. They're clearly on a double date. And when this double date ends, after they're done with the training and they have lunch, Fierro Chase heads back to the mansion, as we mentioned. And Alex is like sitting on the roof, sipping on guava juice. They're touring around the mansion. Alex is judging all of Randolph's books. And this is going to be our first quote. Alex shrugged. The Lord of the Rings, not bad. Sylvia Plath, nice. 
Oh, The Left Hand of Darkness. I love that book. The rest, eh. His collection is a little heavy on dead white males for my taste. I'm a dead white male, I noted. Alex raised one eyebrow. Yes, you are. I didn't realize that Alex was a reader. I was tempted to ask if he liked some of my favorites. Scott Pilgrim, or maybe Sandman. <laughs> Magnus Chase has read the fucking Sandman by Neil Gaiman, that Vertigo label? Are you kidding me? I believe it, and I love it. I'm here for it. I have a lot of opinions. I want to hear your opinions, Darian. Thank you so much. So I've read both the Scott Pilgrim graphic novels and the entire original run of the Sandman. Both are good in their own unique special ways. Both deserve mention and are worthwhile for what they are. They do not deserve to be in the same sentence. (laughs) Wild. Especially what comes next because Alex considers himself fabulously weird. And later Magnus is like, well, maybe Alex would like these ones. They're fabulously weird. And I'm like, Scott Pilgrim, fabulously weird? Honey, it's just wild to me that we're putting, in terms of weirdness, Scott Pilgrim with, and I'm sure I'm pissing a lot of people off. That's fine. No, I am pro pissing off Scott Pilgrim fans. (laughs) Go harder. That movie is is a, like, is a craft? In craft. It is excellent. But it is a disaster. (laughs) Part two of the Fear Chase discussion we need to talk about Alex cutting Magnus's hair. We've briefly mentioned it before, but this is extremely important. I'm going to read a quote. Every time it started to grow out, Alex hacked it off again, leaving my bangs just long enough to fall in my eyes. The back chopped to collar level. I was used to my hair being much wilder and more wiry, but Alex took such glee in murdering my blonde locks, it was impossible to tell him no. Aww. It's perfect, Alex said. Now you at least look like you're groomed, but your face is still obscured. And I don't know what is queer about that except for everything. Everything about that, cutting your partner's cutting hair. Cutting your partner's hair is like one of the most intimate things you can do. And I feel like it is queer because in um, relationships with two heterosexual people of different genders, I feel like most of the time the hair cutting would not be very good. Do we not feel this way? Like- <laughs> That's fair. That's true. <laughs> we would not have the necessary knowledge. In most cases, I feel to do a good job and therefore for it to be a fun and intimate experience for both people. In this situation, I know that Alex has a specific vision for what Magnus's hair needs to look like and is just executing so that she is looking at what she wants to look at. And power to her for that. (laughs) I'm just imagining the reason Magnus has like enough bangs to cover his face. And this is just like little like gay fanfic writer in me. It's so Alex can like part the hair away to like reveal Magnus's face. You have to be able to play with the hair still. I have lost interest in uh, potential romantic partners because they decided they were going to get a really short haircut. And I was like, ooh, guess who's not cute anymore? Period. <laughs> Period. 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 Oh, God, it really time. does. Absolutely right. It's, like, very helpful, though. Don't, doesn't it, like, some of the most cathartic experiences in life have been, like, seeing someone that you were into and being like, oh, no, that haircut truly... It rescues you sometimes. Yes, it liberates like you. When wall. Logan Lerman got a buzz cut, it, it saved my life. <laughs> it really, it helps me move on. Yet you still have a Percy Jackson podcast. No, no, no. Sh- <laughs> sh- we're on Magnus Chase. We're back out. This is a Magnus Chase podcast. <laughs> um, let's do a few more comments. Alex does sign to Magnus at one point that his fly is open adorable it's during a very high pressure moment and it is alive yes <laughs> um, magnus also in his internal monologue at one point wonders what alex's feet look like and that is a hundred percent real 
mm-hmm. in the text because some people are early in their journeys and also have no class. Um. These are inside thoughts. They're inside thoughts. I wonder if Alex's feet were as well groomed as Njord's. What a stupid thing to wonder about. Girl! Look, he doesn't say it out loud, so. He doesn't say it out loud, and also he's kind of like, oh, what? That's kind of funny. Why did I think about that? And then immediately suppresses it. As, as he should. Like, honestly. <laughs> as we will. We're going to move on. We have nothing more there to say is. about no. Alex Garrow's feet. <laughs> move on to the pottery. Let's go, pottery. I'm invoking guest rights. <laughs> okay, next quote. Even that little bit of consideration from Alex, the idea that my death might be slightly disagreeable to her, gave me that warm and fuzzy feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeesh, I was pathetic. <gasps> my man's is down catastrophic. Yeah. I have forgotten that they're not together already in this book because they might as well yep. be. Oh my God. Down in the depths of Tartarus he is. <laughs> I remember finishing Hammer of Thor. I'm like, wait, what? Aren't Alex and Magnus supposed to get it? You're telling me I have to wait a whole nother it's, book? What? They might as well be yeah, together. Yeah, it's partially like... Alex knowing that they're doing something, but Magnus needing to be directly told, and we just get Magnus's POV. So it's not until he works up the courage <laughs> over three books to ask for her to be like, yeah, what What do you think has been happening? The whole time I've known you. <laughs> Except she doesn't do that. She does the opposite of that, which is, what are you talking about? No, 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 I need space. I need to think. Don't talk to me for a while. And, and well, she I still actually, has trauma. Flirting from above. <laughs> I actually, yes. I actually have a huge problem with the Alex and Magnus relationship that I would like to present. So you can tell me, you can use your smart, intelligent <laughs> picture, putting things together to tell me, no, get rid of that. Because I do like them as a couple. But for me, it is somewhat distressing to have the character dynamic of one character who is trying to be as honest as he can with his feelings, trying to shoot straight, trying to like have that communication, even though he's not really sure himself, but he wants to like have that. And the other character regularly shut that down, but then go and do things like, I kissed you. Now I'm going to make fun of you for wanting to sit by me. I'm admiring you. Ah, no, you want to talk to me about the kiss? You just declared your undying love for me? That's too much too soon. I'm not going to give you any space to talk, and I'm not going to let you say anything at all. I'm going to talk really fast, and I'm going to dismiss you. Oh, we kiss again. I still have to think about it. Bye. While knowing that Magnus is into me, he's going to wait. I can do whatever I want, and I'll just deal with that when I feel ready and not ever actually get to do that for Magnus like knowing the person is always going to be there and getting to treat them how you want while you're working that out but not giving them any sort of like insight into how you're doing tell me I'm wrong I'm Magnus literally a- tell me why I'm wrong <laughs> Magnus is a dumb boy so we can treat him however we want <laughs> I think that this is like a very valid critique and that like there's no I don't say obligation. I feel like if anyone else were in Magnus' position, they would rightly be like, oh, this is not worth it. I am irritated with this person. I need to just mm-hmm. sit them down and ask clearly what is going on and communicate them that, to them that I'm like distressed about this. And I feel like if Magnus actually were like, I like you. He's I'm not. Upset yes, about this. Can you clear things up for me? I think Alex would probably flip on it. But I do also feel like flirting from above is both a useful frame for this and also a little bit fraught because my read of this is that Alex is like maybe 90% certainty that Magnus is really, really into her. And then like that last 10% is like a very, very substantial, like learned response of like fear. And probably like given that this person is like 16 years old and like, it's had a rough 
life and like we are not entirely sure what year this actually takes place in in like real life years or whatever but like i think that is like right for someone with the gender identity situation that alex has and probably like the common misunderstandings of that that go along with that to like be as a default very defensive and to take a lot of well-needed enjoyment of the Mm -hmm. situation that you know like he finds himself in where like he knows that magnus is interested most of the time but also can have that like last stopgap of defense to be like this feels safe for me and i'm like learning how to like actually accept and understand what it looks like to have someone really actually be into me this relationship is on alex's terms for now yeah like alex is the one setting the boundaries alex is the one saying like come closer and now you stop And that's probably very empowering. Something, something, trans wrongs, something, something. Yeah. There was like an art museum wall somewhere in Boston that I saw. It was like people's manifestations. And one of them was like, I want every trans person to be way meaner than they currently are. And I agree with that. And that is, um, that is the energy that I'm bringing to blessing Alex's um, flirting from above Mm, in this, in this context. (laughs) Also, I think it's important that it's not, I mean, we obviously don't know what their relationship dynamic is post kiss because the series ends there, but this doesn't take place over that long a period of time. Mm-hmm. How much time is in between this book and the last? Like not very long at all, no, right? Like a, week? Like a few months yeah. at most. So they haven't known each other for that long. Yeah. So this little dynamic of Alex like messing yeah. with Magnus a bit is not like a long-term situation, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In which they aren't mm. having like honest and open communication yeah i think we would hope that once they get into this relationship together that there is still this like playful flirty i'm gonna mess with you dynamic yeah. while also having an open line of communication and and being honest and vulnerable with each other yes yeah you should be nice to your friends and partners <laughs> um <laughs> we should say that <laughs> this kind of bleeds into something i'm sure you wanted to have brought up as well but like there is that paragraph after the kiss where magnus is like i kissed a dude and that's yes. like something for me to process and while i do really like that moment and i think it is much more useful than the moment we get in trials of apollo where apollo's like being gay is fine like two camera i think this being like <laughs> processing internalized homophobia responsibly is a really well done but i think that's a really good way to inform alex's dynamic because alex could have guessed that magnus was going to have those thoughts what she couldn't guess was his reaction to them because i'm sure people in the past Mm. reaction has been violent and so the social dynamics of their relationship and like he does in fact have those feelings and reactions thank god magnus has like some emotional intelligence and processes them correctly and makes it about him and not about alex but for all Alex knows, is like, mm-hmm. yeah, this person is super attracted to me until something comes of it and it's not safe anymore. And then they lash out and I'm the one who has to get yeah. hurt yeah. there. But yeah, yeah, I just thought that Rick did such a good job with that moment of like showing that Alex was valid in her he- hesitancy. And also Magnus is like a good person who can process these feelings that we all have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, d- I'm torn because I want to read this, but I also want to read the first kiss. We're both. Why? Why? We're already in it. Double down. We can do a double episode, right? At this point, I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) this book really is, frankly, a romance YA. Um, (laughs) I ripped it a good job. I'm actually impressed. Honestly, setting my stuff aside, like, wow, good job, Rick. I mean, it's the one character (laughs) dynamic he's good at, so that's not surprising. But oh, honestly, (laughs) no, that's true. It's true. It's true. Let's dump in like two quick Fiero Chase quotes. There's one moment that I think this is while Alex is making Pottery Barn, the um, 
clay warrior to fight. Magnus says, the more I find out about you, the more I admire you. Alex, her expression was a mix of amusement and exasperation, like I was a cute puppy that had just peed on the carpet. That oh, is amazing writing. That's exact dynamic. And like Rick has been in love and like Becky has looked at Rick like that. Like you don't make that up. That is an observational. He knows that feeling. It's perfect. It's perfect for Magnus to be saying this and to have this as the internal monologue. Like we as a third party viewer would probably be like, oh, Alex is also into Magnus, but also Magnus is pathetic and we love it. (laughs) Robert, I got a vibe that maybe you disagree. Oh, no, I was going to say my least favorite thing about the Trials of Apollo books and also the Magnus Chase books is for some reason, this is when Rick entered, I guess, what I would call his piss era, where he keeps talking about characters (laughs) either metaphorically or literally Mm -hmm. pissing themselves. Yes, it's just happening. Wow. Yeah, especially in these books. It's it's like, no, I don't don't like that. Please stop. He was like, okay, I got to find some new things that are funny to kids. Farts? Okay, farts are done to death. What about peeing yourself? Yeah, no, exactly that. <laughs> it is still middle grade at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It is still middle grade. Even though I swear to God, Magnus Chase is YA. Period. Full stop. You cannot convince me otherwise. Hearth? Oh, hearth. The characters are too old for middle grade. Everyone in this book is well into high school. Also that, yeah. And dead. And, and dead. dead. <laughs> How about we build our way to the actual final quote, which we have already discussed. Page 188. It's Magnus healing Alex. Instead, a single clear memory hit me. Nothing special, just breakfast at Cafe 19 in Valhalla. A quick snapshot of me, stupid Magnus Chase, the way Alex saw me. I was sitting across the table from her, grinning at something she just said. A little glob of bread was stuck between my front teeth. My hair was messy. I looked relaxed and happy and utterly dorky. I held Alex's gaze for a second too long and things got awkward. I blushed and looked away. That was her entire memory. I recalled that morning. I remembered thinking at the time, well, I've made a complete idiot of myself as usual. But it had hardly been an earth-shaking event. So why was it at the top of Alex's memories? Because she's down catastrophic for you. And do you want to read that last sentence? Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was in purple and my brain thought it was something else. It's because I (laughs) italicized, underlined it, and made it purple. But go ahead. (laughs) And why did I feel such a rush of satisfaction seeing my dorky self from Alex's perspective? Period. Okay, period. (laughs) Love it. Literature. I think this might be the Fiero Chase moment that hurt me the most because this is love. (laughs) Like, love is many things, but feeling love is seeing yourself through somebody else's perspective and feeling good about yourself, sure, but, like, more than that. Like, worthy of being spent time with and special and all of these things that are unique to you just being appreciated by somebody else. Not because you need that appreciation in order to be secure in yourself, but because you're a cool person and to feel somebody else thinking you're cool and thinking you're beautiful and all of that is so special. Have have you ever, like gone through a friend's camera roll and you find something and you're like oh they're gonna be dating in like two months the idea that like you can look at the way that someone sees someone else like this is what like the instagram effect is and being able to read from that like this person sees something in the other person that is unique and it's captured in like the way that they look at them and the things that are highlighted it's so sweet it's so special the other thing i want to say about this is that rick's idea of romance is sitting in cafes together (laughs) and that is so true that is love love is sitting in a cafe together and like making eye contact 
Love that's is it. buying somebody exactly one iced coffee and like, <laughs> wow, that's $6. That's it. That's what you need. What is love if not buying a latte persevering? I don't know. Let's move on. Buying a single iced coffee. No, that was, a, that was a noble attempt, Robert, and I got the reference. <laughs> what is love if not making one iced latte last for four hours so that you can loiter in a cafe together with the person that you want to stare at? There it is. Without spending more money. Without spending more money, period. <laughs> Without spending more money. <laughs> Um, okay, shall we shall we roll through a couple other special moments since this is a romance book we've decided? <laughs> Rick decided that. This is page 322. This is when they are in the icy realm, um, almost dying, trying to make it to the shore. Keep going, Blitz yelled back to us hoarsely. I'm not dying in this outfit. We obliged, <laughs> marching step by step forward toward the narrow gravel beach, where at least we could die on solid ground. Blitz and Hearth were almost at the shore when Alex stopped abruptly. I didn't have any energy left either, but I thought I should try to sound encouraging. We, we have to k- keep going. I looked over. We were nose to nose under the blankets. Her eyes glinted, amber and brown. Her scarf had dipped below her chin. Her breath was like limes. Then, before I knew what was happening, she kissed me. She could have bitten my mouth off, and I would have been less surprised. Her lips were cracked and rough from the cold. Her nose fit perfectly next to mine. Our faces aligned, our breath mixed. Then she pulled away. <laughs> I wasn't going to die without doing that, she said. The world of primordial ice must not have frozen me completely because my chest burned like a coal furnace. Well, she frowned, stop gaping and let's move. I'm unwell. I'm unwell. (laughs) This is one of the best. Wow. Am I? No, I'm not going to say it because obviously the underwater kiss is iconic. However, this... (laughs) That's a setup. This is a setup. A very close second. Very, very close runner up. cold. Yep. It's the cold, yep. Darian. It is the cold. Do you want to say more on that? Uh, well, I, I don't think I could. I, it's just, it's the cold, and either you get it, you get it, you don't, you're just not there, and that's fine, but it's the cold. If you don't, you're not in the moment. You're not being sucked in, but of course you are. Of course, of course you're sucked you in. How could you not be? Oh, my God. To quote 10-year-old Carter, let's all huddle together. Hey. No, no, no. Please <laughs> quote 12? 10-year-old Carter. God, you're so old. I, I, okay, it would have been 12 and 11. Let's not... Our birthdays are like a few months apart. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I guess they are. Um, <laughs> no, elderly. Let's all huddle together like emperor penguins. Like emperor penguins? It was a cold night. It was a cold night. We were at camp. Very on brand. Very on brand. I've never forgotten. So that was like 100 pages ago. That was almost 100 pages ago, and they haven't talked about it since. And then we get to almost the very end of the book. This is in Magnus's room back at Hotel Valhalla. You might want to close that door before you start changing. I turned. Alex leaned against the doorframe, his arms crossed over his chainmail sweater vest, his pink glasses low on his nose. He shook his head in disbelief. Did you lose a mud wrestling contest? Uh, I looked down. It's chocolate. Okay, I'm not going to ask. How was I'd? Alex shrugged. Fine, I guess. A lot of happy people partying, lots of food and music, relatives hugging each other. Not really my scene. Right. I left Sam and Amir in good company with their whole families. They looked... Happy doesn't cover it. Delighted? Ecstatic? Head over heels? I suggested. Over the moon. Alex met my eyes. Yeah. That works. Drip. Drip. Chocolate dribbled from my fingertips in a completely suave and attractive way. So anyway, Alex said, I was thinking about your proposal. My throat constricted. I wondered if I had a chocolate allergy I didn't know about and I was dying in a new and interesting manner. My what? I squeaked. About the mansion, he clarified. 
What did you think I meant? No, of course. The proposal about the mansion. Absolutely. I guess I'm in, he said. When do we start? Oh, great. Tomorrow we can do the initial walkthrough. I'll get the keys. Then we wait for the lawyers to do their thing. Maybe a couple of weeks? Perfect. Now go take a shower. You're disgusting. I'll see you at breakfast. Okay. He turned to leave, then hesitated. One more thing. He walked up to me. I've also been thinking about your declaration of undying love or whatever. I didn't. It wasn't. He clamped his hands on the sides of my gooey face and kissed me. I had to wonder, was it possible to dissolve into chocolate on a molecular level and melt into a puddle on the carpet? Because that's how I felt. I'm pretty sure Valhalla had to resurrect me several times during the course of that kiss. Otherwise, I don't know how I was still in one piece when Alex finally pulled away. He studied me critically, his brown and amber eyes taking me in. He had a chocolate mustache and goatee now, and chocolate down the front of his sweater vest. I'll be honest, a small part of my brain thought, Alex is male right now. I have just been kissed by a dude. How do I feel about that? The rest of my brain answered, I have just been kissed by Alex Fierro. I'm absolutely great with that. In fact, I might have done something typically embarrassing and stupid, like making the aforementioned declaration of undying love, but Alex spared me. Eh, he shrugged. I'll keep thinking about it. I'll get back to you. In the meantime, definitely take that shower. He left, whistling a tune that might have been a Frank Sinatra song from the elevator. Fly me to the moon. I'm great at following orders. I went to take a shower. <laughs> I'm great at following orders. Hey. It's important to remember that Magnus is shirtless during this. He's just taking off Wait. his shirt. Hey, fact check. Oh no, I clocked that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, for some reason, I don't know why this went through my brain, but when um when Alex points out that Magnus has like brown sludge on him, he is shirtless, yes. And and and, and Magnus responds with it's chocolate. It reminded me of the scene from the first Spider-Man Raimi movie where Mary Jane is like, You look taller, and Peter's like, I hunch. Just that same sort of awkward monotone of like, oh, a person I like is talking to me in a positive manner. I have to respond. Oh, this is good writing. Yeah, this is YA. This is YA. Yeah, that's fair. I died several times and was resurrected in the course of that kiss? Very good. How dare Rick? So I think it's underwater kiss. I think it's cold kiss second place. And then I would think it's this kiss third place. Yeah, because what else is there? Battle of the Labyrinth, Annabeth kissing Percy. Fourth place. That's fourth place. Far fourth for me, but you're right. I like Magnus's inner monologue of this kiss better than his other one, though. I agree. Yes, I it's agree. A lot more. Yeah. I actually would put this at two. The setting, Maybe. I agree, is not as exciting, but yeah. they get to like process it. Also, hit. Also, uh, Alex hubbing over the moon as like I'm not going to verbally yes. tell yes. you everything yes. I want to hear, right. but I'm going to walk away telling it to you. Yes. And you just have to be observant enough. Is so good. After the whole over the moon thing, so good. Maybe the AC is really low in the hotel room and it's also cold. We have to shout out one last little moment. It's not a high point in their relationship, but it is um, when one of the chapters ends with somebody um, commenting on um, the fruity edge in a mead. And that was interrupted <laughs> by someone standing up and screaming, Magnus Chase, Magnus Chase, it's you. The next chapter opens with Magnus saying, quote, typical. Somebody says fruity edge and immediately my name comes to mind. Come on, people. A little respect. 
How so could Rick do it's this? so good. Like, Rick, how? Okay, wait. Rick, this is so gay that it is homophobic. Like, <laughs> I, Rick. That reads like Magnus is like, yeah, so I'm fruity. So what? Put some respect to my name. I, I read it as like, Magnus needs a few more years to be like, okay, I'm not just like into somebody who is gender fluid. I'm also like fruity and that's what this means. Yeah. But the tone is perfectly patched to make this joke very enjoyable. And we can both laugh at and with Magnus in this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. <laughs> Extreme highlight from the series is the fruity edge moment. I remember reading that and like screaming out loud and being like, the, what? Especially because it ends in chapter nine and you're like, wow, that joke was for me. That was for me. I'm just a fun, intelligent, queer reader who, like, knows things about the double entendre of the word fruity, and then you turn the page, and you're like, no, we're gonna beat this shit into the ground, because it is funny! (laughs) It's also the same energy as all of the campers being like, finally, when Percy and Annabeth kiss, and then carrying them into the lake, Yeah, you know? It's like this group energy of, like, we know what's going on here, even if you don't. Obviously, Magnus is gay. Well, remember the second book? I think it was Halfborn was like, it's okay if you stare at Alex to Magnus, like while they're eating dinner. And Magnus is like, what? No, I didn't. I wasn't. I'm, I'm a, and Rick is like, no, everybody knew before Magnus. But who's, who's Tumblr did Rick stalk so that he could get the information That's to make so, that That's so, like, doesn't sound like something That's that, like, a middle-aged oh, white straight man wrote. Like, no. Rick is never revealing his secret Tumblr username. That information <laughs> yeah. will be deleted before they lower him into the ground. Let's, let's all know that. We will never. This is the secret letter to Becky that's in the safe deposit pause that she has a secret code to in her necklace. It's similar to when Alex is like, dead white guys. And it's like, Rick, how did you know to make that joke? <laughs> where did you hear that? Ooh, can I take over backstories of Floor 19 when we get there? Because this, this, this is the part where I, I, I have my biggest gripe. Okay, yeah, we're going to quickly cover some of the backstories of the Floor 19 characters that we finally get in this novel, starting with whoever Robert wants to talk about. We have Gunderson, whose main thing is he left home to explore and then he died. Whatever, who cares? Then we have Mallory, who sets off a fucking car bomb before Bloody Friday. And that's also bad. But my main problem, the thing I never see anyone call out Rick for is... TJ, Thomas Jefferson Jr., describes how he dies. He essentially mm-hmm. accepted a challenge from a, a Confederate mm-hmm. soldier who had challenged him to uh, a fight. And he has, and I'm just going to read it out loud. He pointed across no man's land with a sword right at me like somehow he knew me. He shouted, you N. Well, you could guess what he called me. I'm like, excuse me, Rick Riordan, what? I mean, here's the thing. TJ would have said the full quote. He doesn't need to like... Yeah censor himself but magnus telling us the story would and rick absolutely cannot exactly i always say that like history rick really fucks with writing rick because history rick likes to do things like make the children Mm -hmm. of hades the nazis and make the camp jupiter on the side of the confederates this is about as close to the line as rick has ever gotten in my opinion of writing something super duper problematic on purpose almost Yeah, I think it's difficult because the intentions are so there with wanting to create a character to represent an overlooked part of American history, like the black soldiers that fought in the Civil War for the Union. But I think that educators, as well as writers for kids, are often overlooking how harmful it can be to experience butting up against language like that Mm -hmm. in books. I think about 
the way we read To Kill a Mockingbird and other things in middle school and <laughs> just never discuss some of the language and the slurs and things like that that were put there because they think, well, it's part of history and it's yeah. part of literature. And as long as we say that it's bad, it's okay. But it can be pretty triggering for some people yes, or just yeah. like not something you want to come across in a kid's yes. book, especially not from a non-black no. author so right, because the white kids don't have this happen when they're reading yeah their no. traumas are not put on the page as a jump scare when they're 11 and they want to read a fun yeah. book about mythology no, absolutely. and i just think if you are not of that culture you don't get to exploit their pain it's exactly having diverse characters fantastic they don't have to be sad though like bipoc characters can be happy we also need to talk more about the facts of the backstory this writing is really hard to read. TJ has this one-on-one -on -one challenge with this Confederate lieutenant. And what happens is not just that harrowing experience, which is described to us and recounted in vivid detail of how TJ is shot by this incoming Confederate army because he is compelled to accept this challenge and to charge by himself across an empty battlefield where on the other side there are lots of like armed soldiers so that he can respond to this challenge we then get writing which is on par with some of the like most graphic horror writing i feel like we have had which is that tj relives this experience every day in valhalla this is supposed to be a reward for the honored soldiers. And TJ has like one of the worst descriptions of hell that I think we've ever seen, where he is challenging the same person to the same fight every day. They're killing each other every day for like, it seems like probably years, right? Like Notably because the person who challenged him from the Confederacy also ends up in Valhalla mm -hmm. because they both die, which, okay, I, I understand what Rick was going for. <laughs> Yeah, because he takes it as an opportunity to say that the Norse gods, they're not woke um, or, yeah. or anything like that because they take whoever dies valiantly in battle. Mm -hmm. They took both TJ and his enemy. But after like century or two of challenging each other every single day, this Confederate guy eventually just disappears from Valhalla. So like it is possible that sometimes Ein Herr Yar do not make it to Ragnarok because if they can't kick it yeah. with the rest of the Hotel Valhalla people and adjust to what life is like there and aka not be racist, then they will not survive in Hotel Valhalla. They do also know that TJ, independently of this lieutenant fading away into nothingness in Valhalla, also decides after a while that he for his own reasons, is not going to look for this person every day on the battlefield anymore. That this is yeah. also a decision that he makes as a part of his healing and his, you know, like trying to have a reasonably decent afterlife that he's going to do other things. Which would be profound and nice and whatever if it was written by a Black author. We, we've said it so many times before. The conversation of whether or not a white author with rick's position wants to incorporate characters of color so that his books aren't just full of white people and he's also a history teacher and he wants to include history like if this was something that was important to him to be in this book i think there should have been not only a diversity reader mm -hmm. a sensitivity reader but a co-author which obviously is something that he has realized needs to happen hence mark oshiro being brought on mm -hmm. we should also briefly call out for tj that he is written as thanking everybody who he perceives as not perpetuating slavery in the present day. Um, and that looks like him 
walking up to random people on the streets of York, England in 2015-ish and thanking them for not actively militarily supporting the South in the Civil War in the 1860s because they had some level of ethical commitment as a country 150 years ago to not being too invested militarily in profiting from the continuation of slavery. It does not make sense to me at all. And it is very unsettling to watch a character have to be grateful to people in the present day for not supporting slavery. And this is a character that we should believe, based on everything else we've heard, is like an intelligent and well-read person who is up to date on how things have changed in the world since he has died. He reads a lot. He's like graduate degrees or something, right? Like, isn't that like part of the character? Mm-hmm. It just is really baffling and also hurts to read him like have to express this gratitude to people for something that he should not have to express gratitude for and probably would not based on his backstory and his position as a character. Yeah, the joke doesn't land. The joke of like, oh, Civil War soldier thanking England for not siding with the Confederates in the present day. Isn't that funny? I think we've said what we need to say, and we should maybe move on for our mental health. Let's talk about Sam. Sam! This is going to be kind of quick. Sam has no flaws. She kind of, she like, does what she has to do. But also, like, 90% of the things that we hear from Sam about, or like, hear described about Sam in this book, are just a depiction of Ramadan. It is Ramadan when the book is taking place, and so Sam is fasting, because she is observant. And it is a lot of Magnus being like, wow, she must be really hungry. But she's strong. And, like, maybe this helped her focus. How do we feel about this? I love it. I think Sam is is a badass. Um, I love that Magnus is always looking out for her health, but also not ever like overstepping. Yeah. Being like, Sam, you have to eat. You know, he's just a respectful friend. And I think that the whole dwarves and elves aren't halal joke is is very funny. And like about as far as Rick was willing to step on this, which is great because like you have Sam and Rick not willing to assign complicated faults to her versus <laughs> tj so like you know there's there's a spectrum here but yeah sam in this book is is slaying as she always is her fasting for ramadan seems to be the thing that helps her stand up to loki which i like i think that is very cool yeah it also overlaps with the training with alex they could be both but it's probably the faith thing yeah because her faith that keeps her strong mm-hmm. and her faith is what helps her in her battle with her dad period and in having her own self-worth separate from her father and i think that's that's great yeah sam's view of the gods is my favorite of any character's view yes. of the gods also because she's like no no my religion is this thing they're very silly yes, and i'm just silly like obligated to help them because of how cool i am <laughs> no they're like silly little guys who have magic powers and they be ruining things and i have to clean up after their messes in my spare time after school where i get straight a's it's, right? it's yeah a very good character it's like community service Period. Yeah. It's for the college Oh, it is to her. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She is literally just doing this so she can go wherever she wants to college. Mm-hmm. Sam feels a lot like Reyna to me, where like they don't have the same kind of arc as everybody else because they're a step above. Oh yeah. So they're just like Enlightened. succeeding on a level and everybody's just blessed to have them when they're around because they're so busy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Ragnarok. And the flighting are things that we've not really discussed that much. Obviously, there is a lot of popular culture, discourse, and imagining of Ragnarok and how this story in Norse mythology should help us to think about our situations. How do we feel that this is um, handled, interpreted, depicted in, in this book? 
all I can imagine is the cabinet battle from Hamilton. I, I'm not the right person to ask. I do think it's very funny that Rick positions it like Magnus isn't going to go low, like he's going to love his friends and that's how he's going to defeat Loki. But really, he's just telling Loki that he's no alone friend. forever. Yep. And no that's exactly you. a higher road. That's yeah. a good burn. Like, yeah. I, that's just funny to me that Rick's like, we're going to teach kids to always use kind words. But really, Magnus is just going to tell Loki that he will like die alone <laughs> because he's miserable. That is every single time that the power of friendship is invoked. Yeah. The power of friendship is invoked to prove to the villain that they you have no power alone. of friendship, that they yeah. are in fact alone, yeah. and they will be trapped alone inside of a walnut. Yeah. Which is the ending of It Chapter 2 also. Also, Yababa. Like, Yababa, you have no friends. Yababa, your sister hates you. Yababa, your baby hates you and wants to live with us. You are now trapped in a walnut. Literally, it's the same as your baby hates you. It is the same scene. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite line from Loki, where Magnus is trying to insult him. This is on 367, and Magnus says, You're evil, I said. Even that sounded half-hearted. Oh, come on, Loki grinned. Don't throw that good and evil stuff at me. That's not even a Norse concept. Are you good because you kill your enemies, but your enemies are bad because they kill you? What sort of logic is that? A little secret, Magnus? There is no good and evil. There is only capable and incapable. I am capable. You are not. That is unfortunately dangerously mm. close to a verbatim mm. Sorcerer's Stone quote, but it is importantly, however, a read. Yep. Which is not what Voldemort delivers. No. You are dot 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 not. <laughs> My hangout with a scene is that Loki mostly delivers these things in a way that is compelling to me. The delivery is interesting. You know, like he is clever. He has good timing and pacing of the way that he sets these things up. Magnus, at a macro level, yes. The long, long setup to being like, Loki, you have no friends. That makes sense to me. That's poetic. That is a good, long preparation for a punchline. I like that. The actual word-by-word Sentence by sentence, delivery that Magnus gives, I cannot tell if Rick is supposed to be writing something to us that is like inspired poetry coming out of Magnus's mouth, because that is not what I'm getting. Mm -hmm. Darian, you want to go ahead and read your quote? Yeah, so it's following Loki just crushing Magnus, and Magnus trying to figure out what am I supposed to do, and he looks at, hey, what's the name of Loki's wife, gang? Sigun. Sigun. So we see Sigun and thinking about like, ah, there's something about this. She's Loki's wife. She's always been there. But I swear I've got the feeling that she's been like kind of secretly helping us. Why would she do that unless Loki can't actually trust anyone, basically? And that's when he really starts to put it together. But what got me was like this one paragraph. A flighting was supposed to cut people down to size, to insult them into nothingness. But I was a healer. I didn't cut people. I put them back together. I couldn't play by Loki's rules and hope to win. I had to play by my rules. I took a deep breath. Let me tell you about Mallory Keene. And then he just starts off on like his friends and their accomplishments. I'm a healer. <laughs> I'm a healer. I don't cut people. I put them back together. And I liked that a lot because I think that underlines what I personally like most about the Magnus Chase books is that Rick went very far out of his way to undermine expectations and standard tropes regarding teen boy hero fiction, especially in Norse, where you expect to be the most violent, the most yeah, swords yeah. And, and raiders, and he's like, the sword isn't used to cut down the enemies, it's used to tie him back up. Magnus doesn't win by insulting Loki or, or dueling him, he wins by talking about how great his friend is and then telling Loki, you have no friends! No one likes you! <laughs> Not even your wife! And she's just gone. But you're absolutely right, Carter, there is no poetry here. 
Yeah, this is a discussion question I would like to to pose to the group, which is, did any of the previous things that they do in this book mean anything? Did the Mead do anything? <laughs> because I feel like probably not, right? And they're not explicit about that. Yes. You're arguing yes. Yes, because at the end, we learn that Odin has Mead from his private reserve, and he's going to give it to the one uh, giant that uh, Magnus had promised, the, the water mm-hmm. one, uh, the ocean guy, Aegir. So they could have just gone and gotten it and then gone to the flighting. But Magnus would have failed because he didn't know anything about his friends. <gasps> this book, I was thinking it's about it, journey. reading it. Like, yeah. why, like, why are we just now learning about it? It's literally about the goddamn journey. It's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it is Lord of the Rings. Sorry, that got loud. <laughs> Rick's favorite books growing up were the Lord of the Rings. That makes so much sense. Dead white authors. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking when we were starting to get like TJ's backstory, I'm like, why are we just now learning this here? Why didn't we learn it earlier? And this is the payoff yeah. because the journey is how Magnus learns these things and comes to know his friends and who they are as people and what they're made of and that they will be there for him. And that's why he had to get the whetstone and go through the trauma and do the get the me because that's how you did all the quests for him to be able to be there and know what to say. Should we use that as an opportunity to segue very, very briefly to touch on what Magnus learns about his good friend Hearth? Oh, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. It's so we dark. say this like Holy literally. If you if you are someone who has read the books before, if you haven't, like the passages in Magnus's speech where he talks about Hearth and Alex are kind of long, but I would recommend that you go check those out because they're especially um, interesting and rich because those are characters with whom he has, I feel like, different and special relationships. And on Hearth's side, a lot of it is because Hearth Hearth goes through it in this book. Talk about horror. Hearth's arc in this book is that he needs to go and find his dad, who has turned into a dragon, and kill his dad, the dragon, by using magic to bring his dead brother. Like, the defining trauma of Hearth's life is the fact that his brother died and his dad blamed him for it. So he has to go back, revive his brother from the dead to kill his dad. And that's like what he does in this book. <laughs> and then eat his dad's heart. It's and so then good. eat his father's heart. <laughs> it's so metal. Which he doesn't do, but Tartarus has nothing on this. Like we thought that Annabeth and Percy like had it bad. Again, why I say that this book is at least YA, because if I read this when I was eight to 10, it would have scarred me. Horrifying. <laughs> it has still <laughs> scarred me. It's terrifying. When it scarred Madness many like, children for sure. Doesn't at one point Magnus is like in the guts of the dragon and like that's like wild writing where like all of the scene is happening from Magnus's point of view obviously because he's the narrator he is underground waiting for the right chink in the dragon's belly armor so that he can stab it but all the while like we we're hearing like from Magnus's view like warbled dialogue and trying to figure out whether or not Hearth is going to succeed and like luring his dad the right way and we also don't know how he's going to do it like it is a surprise to Magnus and us the reader when we hear the voice of the dead brother who is back and the father reacting very violently to that and like going way too far out and so we're also again not sure how the fuck Hearth is going to reel this back in it is suspenseful and terrifying it's well written it this whole book is Magnus just trying to be a good friend and a helpful friend to his friends as he learns more about their traumas that have defined them and on their journey of friendship and everything. And Magnus is just like, okay, Hearth, 
you need to eat your dad's heart. I'm here for you. What do you, what do you need from me, buddy? You want me to crawl in this hole? All right, we're going to do it. And then we're all naked and I am covered in the blood of your father. It's okay. It's vibes. We're just vibing. <laughs> that is Magnus's general attitude throughout the book. And I do love that. Like when he accidentally gets like blood in his mouth and it's like a horrendous event he's like yeah no this is fine we can roll with this like for sure it needed to happen right so, like why not me that's cool yeah <laughs> why not me yeah and he and Hart sort of like make eye contact and he's like did you want to do that like i'm kind of sorry i feel bad now and Hart is like i actually really did not um and we're all just leave. So thanks. Done. Yeah. Like, oh thanks for handling that actually oh thank god magnus is so polite and it's so funny in any circumstance, he's like, I don't want to be inconsiderate. I don't want to impose. <laughs> I'm so I'm so sorry for accidentally ingesting your dad's blood. I, my bad. Maybe you wanted to talk to birds, but oops, now you won't. Get <laughs> <laughs> the fucking bird thing. They all hype it up to be like, it'll change your weird. You'll get this not. I can talk to birds and after the crow thing, it never comes back. I'm sure it'll be helpful in the future for Magnus in his in his future Ragnarok preventing endeavors where they fight Jesus yes you've said it'll be helpful when they fight Jesus I think that's very specific to Magnus's experience I think other people might gain more useful skills <laughs> but because it's Magnus it's talking to birds because that feels yeah. very yeah. unreal for him he's like my mom would love this on our hikes <laughs> oh, oh. oh I just do want to highlight page 384 after the flighting and the battle and everything Magnus says, the next day, Blitzen and Hearthstone went into nurturing mode, making sure everybody had food, everybody was warm enough, nobody was alone if they didn't want to be. Hearth spent a lot of time listening to TJ talk about war and slavery and what constituted an honorable challenge. Hearth was an excellent listener. Blitz sat with Alex Fierro all afternoon, showing her how to make a sweater vest out of chainmail. I wasn't sure Alex needed a chainmail sweater vest, but the work seemed to call them both. Blitz and Hearth might be my favorite Riot and Verse ship. I've made a yeah. lot of statements about favorites today but they're <laughs> so adorable and sweet and like queer elders and it's fantastic it's very good it's so special this is found family like this is what makes these books so so freaking good i think that that is closing us off on our main discussion points and i'm also sure that we didn't cover everything i have maybe an idea that we'll do an episode on nine from the nine worlds and we can cover anything that we've missed. If you have any specific thoughts that we didn't get to, feel free to send us a voice memo on Anchor or on Instagram or something, or just send us a message and we'll try to cover it then. But for now, we will close off with some words from Magnus at the very end of this book. Alex reached over and took my hand. She hadn't done that since we were marching invisibly towards the ship of the dead. I didn't question the gesture. I didn't take it for granted. I decided just to enjoy it. You have to do that with Alex. She is all about change. Moments don't last. You've got to enjoy each one for what it is. This is good, she said. I didn't know if she meant what we'd accomplished with Chase Space or the fireworks or holding hands, but I agreed. Yeah, it is. The world will end. The big picture cannot be changed. But in the meantime, as Loki once said, we can choose to alter the details. That is how we take control of our destiny. Sometimes even Loki can be right. So thank you all for joining us today. We had a lot to talk about. It's been such a fun time talking about these Magnus Chase books. They are so special to us. And we'll talk about them more. This won't be the end. <laughs> Can we get some social media handles and some promotions from you guys? Megan, do you want to go first? Sure. I am half of the Monsters Woman podcast. So we're a feminist media podcast. And we talk about different series and the women's representation in them. We just finished Harry Potter 
and we're moving into fairy tales. So I think by the time this goes out, we'll have something out on that. And uh, you can find us pretty much everywhere at the Monsters Woman Pod. And then I'm also an author. And so if you want to pay attention to me writing books, you can follow my Instagram. It's Megan Peterson Writes. Woohoo! Darren? Yeah! As stated at the top, I am the co-host of Muses Mythology, formerly podcast of Poseidon. We explore how ancient myths become modern pop culture through the lens of the Percy Jackson series. My co-host and brother DJ and I are currently going through the myths that appear in the Battle of the Labyrinth. You can find that at Muses of Mythology wherever you get your podcasts or on socials at Muses of Myth. Uh, if you want to see me climb cool rocks, you can follow my personal Instagram at Darian Smart. I also co-host a brand new podcast with Robert over here about Kim Possible called That's the Sitch. That's up. That's got episodes. Check that out. Woo-hoo. Robert? So yeah, That's the Sitch, new podcast. Uh, if you want to find me on the internet, I'm also, we're most of us are also in a podcast <laughs> called Entering Storybrook where we talk about the decade old edgy fairy tale show once upon a time we just wrapped up season one hey. which is fucking crazy if you want to find me on the internet in the percy jackson verse i am the damn meme page damn is spelled d-a-m on instagram twitter and tiktok do not yell at me to upload to the tiktok because <laughs> i keep forgetting thank you very much all right thank you all for being here we are going to be heading into three straight episodes of trials of apollo now so please pray for us um, we will see you there. And just remember, it's all in service of being prepared for the Nico and Will book to come out. <laughs> this is this is our end game. We'll see you then. Bye, Bye. all. Bye. <laughs>